The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. So today's episode is episode number 292, and I apologize, but our yard men are out in front working on the yard, so might get a little noise now and again. Murphy's Law, someone's doing something out there. So please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a good review because then when people search for help, people who are either addicted themselves or have a loved one addicted, then they find our podcast, which is what we want. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel, ring the bell so you get notified and give us a thumbs up on our videos. So today we have an interview with a woman that we've had on the podcast before, and it's I think it's kind of timely. Her name is Diane Stein. Diane Stein accepted a leadership role at the Florida chapter of the Citizens Commission on Human Rights in 2015. That's CCHR. CCHR is a nonprofit, nonpolitical, nonreligious mental health industry watchdog whose mission is to eradicate abuses committed under the guise of mental health. Since that time, she has worked to help restore human rights to the field of mental health and especially in the area of short-term emergency commitment. As a Newsweek expert, Diane is regularly interviewed by journalists and investigative reporters on emergency psychiatric holds involving children and the violation of parental and child rights under these circumstances. Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with addiction? Well, in recent weeks, there has been a lot of talk about psychiatric medications. And Diane is very familiar with psychiatric medications and the havoc that they have wreaked on our society. And so we're going to talk to her a bit more about that. So let's talk to Diane Stein. Diane Stein, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. I am excited to talk to you about a subject that isn't always pleasant, but must be discussed. Well, it's always a pleasure to see you, Joni, and I appreciate you guys having me on your show today. Absolutely. So give us just a little bit about your background. You know, I I did your bio and I said that you um, are the executive director of Citizens Commission on Human Rights for Florida. So tell us, how did you arrive at that spot? Where'd you grow up? What led you down that path? Okay, good. Well, I I did start out as the executive director. I'm currently the president Uh, for CCHR here in Florida. And my journey actually began uh, back in 1989. So it's been a long journey uh, in and out of the area of mental health human rights and finally landed here for good in about 2015 when I agreed to take on a leadership role here in Florida for the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. And uh, it's just something I've been very passionate about. My mother had a run-in with the mental health law here in Florida and it kind of spurred me to take additional action rather than just be a supporter or a volunteer. So, you know, that's kind of how I ended up where I am right now. Okay, fair enough. And your mother's okay now? That's all okay? She is, yeah. She she actually has passed away since, um, but we were able to uh, successfully navigate the mental health system, get her released. She was having an adverse reaction to medication. Uh, she was not having some sort of mental illness. Um, unfortunately, the, the law here, um, in fact, the law in most states can be abused quite easily. Uh, sort of a, you know, a shoot first and ask questions later kind of viewpoint, you know, or take action first and ask questions later sort of viewpoint. 
And um, so we were able to get her out uh, into a safe space. Uh, she moved in with my sister and um, spent her golden years truly living golden years, which was very nice. Awesome. I think yeah. that's great. So we obviously were an addiction podcast, so we're talking about drugs today. And there have been in recent weeks, um, there's been a lot of news media, news coverage about antidepressants and antipsychotics. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on today. What, what have you learned about those types of drugs? I mean, I know when I came into it, I thought, well, you know, doctors prescribe them so they can't be all bad, right? Well, you know, unfortunately, too many people have that viewpoint. And even when they do do their own homework or research into a drug, it's not always easy to find the information. For instance, antidepressants and other psychiatric drugs are highly addictive. In fact, uh, a great many medical doctors won't even attempt to get somebody off a psychiatric drug once they're on it because it can be quite um, dangerous. It's actually, there's danger to it. And um, I'm sure you're well aware there are drugs that are, you can't just go cold turkey, like say off alcohol, right? Um, you actually have to be medically supervised. So, um, you know, the average person doesn't necessarily know that because we have um, unfortunately um, developed a society where the quick fix is what we're seeking, you know? So if a person in a white coat says this pill will help you feel happy, they go, okay. And they don't necessarily ask the questions that they should. Or if they do, unfortunately, sometimes the medical doctor doesn't even know about the adverse reactions because there've been no clinical trials per se to attribute certain side effects such as suicide um, to a psychiatric drug, because of course that couldn't get approval. They're not going to run a clinical study where people might actually kill themselves. So instead they rely on adverse reaction reports with the FDA. So once the drug is approved, then it's a matter of how many adverse reaction reports are there. And then does the drug get uh, a certain uh, warning label attached to it or a black box you know, warning, uh, something like that to let the person know. And a medical professional doesn't necessarily have all that information. So even if you ask what are the side effects, they're most likely just going to give you the common side effects and not discuss the potential adverse reactions. Right. And I just want to make a point that you said, because I was going to ask you the question if you didn't say it, and it's kind of a no-brainer. But for anybody listening, you know, I think that the concept of addiction or being an addict has to do with illicit street drugs. And obviously we've talked about opioids and how people definitely could get addicted to those drugs, but you can get addicted to antidepressants, antipsychotics, anti-whatever, psychiatric drugs, they are addictive and even, even more so, I think in some ways than something like heroin and with, with, worse, with worse effects. Well, yeah, exactly. The New York Times actually did an excellent uh, investigative piece on the addictive qualities of psychiatric drugs a few years ago. Um, it's still very relevant, you know, the the actual story and the people they quoted and the experts that they they reference in that story. So, yeah, they they are addictive, and people don't realize that, you know, uh, antidepressants is an example. They were they were meant to be a short term fix, like the person takes them for a short period of time. They weren't meant to be a lifelong commitment. Uh, to a chemical restraint. So 
I know that there's a lot of there's a lot in the media right now that some of the people or most of the people, if you will, I think I said all in my last interview, but I will I will tone it down. I say most of the people who commit these horrible mass shootings are on psychiatric medications. But this fact, while it's getting a lot of buzz right now, this is not new to CCHR. When did CCHR first make this connection? Oh, that was quite some time ago. Uh, we're talking as far back as Columbine. Um, you know, the, the, actual, the, the, the actual facts are quite simple. You know, if you have a certain, you have a certain percentage chance that a drug's going to cause, let's say, homicidal ideation or suicide or aggression or violence, and it's going to occur in a certain number of people, and then you have X number of individuals on those drugs, you are going to have these type of incidents. So CCHR began documenting that um, quite some time ago and in 2018 released a report called Psychiatric Drugs Causing or Creating uh, uh, Violence and Suicides in Our Communities. And it's a very detailed 60 page report uh, that goes over uh, you know, everything from how many people are on antidepressants, which of course that number has changed and unfortunately increased just since that report came out, to how many of the shooters uh, were taking drugs, uh, what drugs they were actually on, how many people were killed, um, excerpts from uh, psychiatrists and professionals and law enforcement. It's actually a very well-researched piece and that, that report itself has been out since 2018. Wow. Dan Carity, if I'm being honest, is the new powerful podcast to listen to. Dan is a globe-trotting television personality, a choreographer to stars like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, a loving husband and father, and a man struggling with addiction and anxiety. On his podcast, he shares ugly truths from his life in front of and away from the camera, and those of his courageous guests as well from the world of entertainment, sports, media, and medicine, such as NFL player Ryan Leaf, pioneer DJ Don Diablo, actor and comedian Jamie Kennedy, and many more. So check out his new podcast, Dan Carity, If I'm Being Honest, on Spotify, Apple, and Google, or go to his website, www.dancarity.com. That's www. D-A-N-K-A-R-A-T-Y dot com. Now here is an incredible success. Roger Smith was kicked out of high school, was homeless, a drug addict, arrested multiple times, and yet this same man overcame incredible adversity and became the CEO of American Income Life Insurance, National Income Life Insurance, and Liberty National Life Insurance Companies. His journey is told in his new memoir, the most unlikely leader. Roger is an example that no matter how low you go in life, you can always turn things around and become anything you set your mind to. If you are stuck in any real life challenge, this book is a fantastic must read for you. The most unlikely leader available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You know, I say this, I'm going to say this again, I, I hope our listeners don't get tired of hearing me say it, but the thing, what, what makes sense to me with these types of drugs, and I got this off of a documentary I watched called uh, Generation Rx, mm -hmm. 
Mm. And that is that when you take these types of drugs, they it's like playing Russian roulette because they will alter the brain chemistry. And I may be able to take an antidepressant for a couple of days because I'm feeling bad and stop and be done. And someone else may take it and go out and shoot people or kill themselves. And you don't know, do you know? It's like playing Russian roulette. And why would you do that? Why would you go get a gun and put one bullet in there and spin it and see what happens? It's, it's, it, it's, it's a nutty concept, in my opinion. Well, it's very hard for people to understand um, the, you know, sequence of events that can occur sometimes, right? But you do have a situation where an individual, they're going to react differently to whatever substance it is that they're consuming, right? For instance, I mean, you could just take it down, water it down to caffeine. Some people can drink coffee all day long and it's not a problem for them. And other people, if they have, you know, a cup of coffee after 3 p.m., they have insomnia practically, right? Good point. So it can be, yeah. So it's like, I mean, all drugs, you know, they, they alter you, right? And unfortunately, you know, you have an entire uh, pharmaceutical industry, the mental health industry based on uh, a, a myth. You know, it's like you talked about the... Uh, mass shootings and the information that's coming out of that. But what about the chemical imbalance theory, which, you know, CCHR for 30 years has been, you know, you know, saying this is not an actual truth. There is no chemical imbalance, right? And there have been scientific papers, there have been studies. And finally, when the report came out of uh, UCL, um, out of uh, London, the University of College of London, right? that you know they did this study and they cannot attribute low serotonin levels to depression etc you know all of a sudden it's like big news that the chemical imbalance theory is you know a bunch of baloney right um but you have an entire generation you know i mean just track back to the prozac commercials you know yep. i believe that was the one that had the little uh fluffy cartoon and it's all sad because it's got a chemical imbalance and then when it uh gets the right drug Basically, it handles that chemical imbalance, and then it's a happy little fluffy thing, you know, in the animation. So you have uh, generations of Americans, right, as just one, you know, demographic that believe, honestly, I mean, I think they did a survey. Um, gosh, I don't remember what year they did surveys, but like 80% of the United States uh, public population believe that there's a chemical imbalance. I mean, I talked to lawmakers and policymakers on a regular basis, and they're like, well, it's a chemical imbalance, and they need the drugs. And I'm like, yeah, and there's no chemical imbalance. Wow. Right? Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Have you found, Diane, in the research, or has CCHR found in the research, that certain segments of the population are targeted with these psychiatric medications? Well, it depends. Yeah, yes, and yes, we have. Um, now, obviously, we're not medical doctors or attorneys or anything like that, but uh, we can read, we can do research, and we can read reports and, and look and see what they have to say. And so there's different, there's interesting things. For example, um, uh, elderly, they reach a certain age, become eligible for benefits, and all of a sudden, the number of prescriptions that are prescribed to them increase dramatically, right? Um, or foster children. Foster children um, are historically um, multi-dosed. Um, it's called polypharmacy when you're on more than one or multiple dr different drugs at the same time. And you'll find uh, foster children on, you know, two, three, four different types of psychiatric medications all at the same time, 
right? So you do have these definite targeting of demographics with um, basically drugs. Um, yeah. Middle-aged housewives, that's another demographic that gets Interesting. hit really hard. Yeah. Well, it, you know, you, it's... it's <laughs> goes back to Valium, Mother's Little well, Helper. You know, it, it really, you know, you look at menopause and perimenopause, you look at that moment and that time in a woman's life, right? And um, the hormones are just going bananas and you have so many different um, factors going on physically. And a lot of women will get put on antidepressants at that time in their life because they're going through menopause, right? right. When in actual fact, it's a physical situation that's going on. You know, it's fascinating that you say that because I worked um, my last big corporate job, if you will, I was... Um, talking to a gentleman, I was talking to him about his job and his work. And I remember him telling me, I don't know if he was on antidepressants or had just been prescribed antidepressants because he had a heart issue. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I was like, wait a second, what does that have to do with your heart? I mean, the answer is nothing, but. Well, once again, I can, I can track back to personal experience. My father was a heart patient, um, had heart surgery at 42. Okay. Um, spent the next 20 some odd years, 23 years uh, navigating um, the medical system with severe heart failure, you know, throughout his, you know, later years, right? And um, his cardiologist would repeatedly try to put him on antidepressants. And I'm like, he's not depressed. He has heart disease, which brings me to another point. Um, the the individuals who are labeled as mentally ill actually uh, die younger than the rest of the population, not because they commit suicide, not because of mental illness, but because in the many, many cases, they have untreated physical problems that have been misdiagnosed as anxiety, depression, or what have you. And instead of treating the heart disease, the thyroid, the cancer, or whatever it is that's going on with that person, they instead are given a script for a psychiatric drug and written off as, you know, it's all in your head. And yeah. it's, it's a huge problem. There's been um, several really good studies on um, the, basically the mortality rate of individuals who've been labeled as mentally ill. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 seven zero eight zero and please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment bobby newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85 percent success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. The service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby.
and how it's uh, it could be stopped. Meaning, if a middle-aged man goes to his primary care physician and says, you know, I'm just kind of tired all the time and I'm not as happy as I used to be. I'm not as interested in life. I'm not sleeping as well. Chances are his primary care physician is going to write him a script for a psychiatric drug. Yeah. In actual fact, he should refer that middle-aged person, that middle-aged man to a cardiologist because what I just described are, you know, possible symptoms of heart disease. Yep. Yep. Makes total sense. Yeah. What are you seeing, if any, what, do you, what changes are you seeing today in this whole area of the prescribing of psychiatric medications? Well, I'm not sure if I'm seeing any changes uh, per se. M more what people don't realize is the vast majority of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians. They're prescribed by medical doctors, not psychiatrists, right? So whether it's, you know, pediatric or uh, geriatric or anything in between, uh, it's a it's an individual who is not a psychiatrist, not a mental health professional that's prescribing these drugs, and that just seems to be a growing trend. But you know, you have I, I don't remember the exact figure off the top of my head, but I believe it was something like one in five Americans um, on a psychiatric drug of some sort, right? Wow. And then. If you take that in here in Florida and you look at, um, I do a lot of interesting reading. Um, one of the things I read is the medical examiners, drugs found in deceased persons, which is basically their report on all the autopsies that were performed in a given year, right? And, you know, you mentioned opioids and fentanyl, uh, fentanyl and those are definitely the number one uh, drug that is found in individuals that um, autopsy is done because not everybody gets an autopsy. It's like suicides, etc., murders, things like that. So, um, but uh, benzos are the second. Wow. Yeah, it's like you know the number of people that are found with um, either uh, psychiatric drugs being the cause of death or contributing to um, the death um, are quite large, and that's just in Florida. You know. Wow. And what are benzos typically prescribed for? Is that anti-anxiety medication? Is that what that is? So what typically are benzodiazepines prescribed for? Well, they're depressant drugs. Um, oh, they, okay. They can be uh, prescribed for everything from insomnia to seizures to anxiety to depression. Okay. Okay. So they're kind of the opposite of antidepressants. You, well, they're a, they're a psychiatric, uh, psychiatric drug um, that really works to lower brain activity is what okay. it does. Yeah. So if I use the, the vernacular of street drugs, um, benzos would be downers, antidepressants would be uppers, kind of. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, it's like you're really looking at um, something where the person is agitated, um, anxious, they can't sleep, that sort of thing. And that's when you know, generally a, a benzo would be prescribed. It's, a, you know, a psychoactive drug. Um, but, you know, once again, I'm, you know, not being a doctor, I don't really know all the ins and outs of that. I just know that it, you know, is a class of psychiatric drugs. Right. And that, you know, is usually prescribed for things such as anxiety or insomnia, um, also seizures. I wonder how many people end up on both antidepressants and benzos. That's Just a good wondering. question. You know, polypharmacy, um, it's also a problem among the elderly. And yes. um, 
you definitely run into a situation where like, you know, we're going back to your uh, acquaintance who had the heart condition and was being prescribed an antidepressant. Some of the drugs that they're on for their heart disease may cause quote unquote depression, right? So then to treat the depression, they will then prescribe an antidepressant and then that might create something else. And so then it becomes a, um, a carousel, if you will, of, you know, symptoms and uh, problems and things like that, you know, being done to fix something that just creates another situation. Yep. Are you seeing the statistics of children being put on ADHD medication? Are you seeing those statistics go up? Um, it's hard to tell. It's really difficult to get that type of information. However, um, in general, the number of children in the United States, actually uh, the number drugged on psychiatric drugs has dropped. Oh, that's um, good. It has, yes. And, you know, I really think that, you know, CCHR's awareness, public awareness campaigns, specifically to parents, um, has made a big difference in that because, you know, we're constantly holding workshops, seminars, um, putting out papers, doing educational events to let parents know what these dangers are so that parents can then exercise their rights to ask the right questions and make sure they understand the risks. Um, but those numbers actually have dropped. I think that's great. And just a note to our listeners, I, if you have a child and you've put your child on these drugs, I, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but it can lead to addiction later in life because what it does is it creates a chemical dependency on the part of children and, you know, it can, um, yeah, it can go down that road and you definitely need to research these types of things before you put your child on these drugs or you start taking them yourself. But that's heartening, Diane. I know you guys work very, very hard to educate parents and it's got to be done. I mean, I understand, you know, why parents might go down that road if they have a child that is particularly challenging to handle and the parents working and busy and but it's not it's not a good plan well you know there there have been um once again excellent studies on exercise sunlight nutrition all types of things um i was talking with a pharmacologist that's a that's a pharmacist basically who uh, looks at different botanicals and plants and and um uh different food sources to solve uh, medical problems. Yep. And um, she told me a really a heartwarming story. Um, a family, their eight-year-old son had been diagnosed um, with ADHD and they were very concerned about um, him taking any sort of drug. Um, so they started doing their research. They found uh, this pharmacologist and they went to her and she's like, well, yeah, you know, he could take this, he could do that, you know, gave him all kinds of solutions. And um, they settled on, uh, putting sardines every day. He started having sardines in his lunch, right? Wow. So make up threes. <laughs> wow. And, um, that totally handled it. And uh, his uh, teacher was so happy, you know, that they had decided to actually medicate him. And so then the mother is like, I know. And she was like, oh, he's improved so much. And he's doing so great. And so the mom sat there and just listened to the whole thing. And then she's like, uh, yeah, we actually opted not to do that. We're just feeding him sardines. <laughs> I would I would love to have seen the teacher's face at that point because I think, unfortunately, a lot of teachers are convinced that drugs are the way to go. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I have a family of educators, um, everything from, you know, uh, grade school to high school. 
and um, they have a hard road. They really do um, with our education system and what's expected of them. And um, when you have uh, the type of system that they're in, sometimes they get put into a position where they themselves are not real comfortable with what's being asked of them. And uh, when they have stories like that that come before them, it really puts them in a position, I think, where they feel empowered to then question what they're being told must be done or what has to be done, right, with a particular child. Yep. Yep. What words of wisdom do you have for our listeners about psychiatric meds? Words of wisdom. Okay. Do your homework. Uh, just because uh, a person who in a position of authority says that you have to do something or take something, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. For example, uh, federal law prohibits uh, requirement of drugging your child in order for them to attend public school. You have the right to refuse that. Um, in Florida, you also have the right to refuse psychological screenings of your child, right? Um, your elderly parent, you have rights if you're taking care of an elderly person. So just don't be afraid to stand up and say, wait a minute, I have questions and get real answers to those questions before you make your decision, because ultimately it is up to you. Your health and that of your loved one and friends is in your hands. Exactly. How do they reach? How can they reach you? How can they reach CCHR and ask questions? Well, uh, for those of you who want to go online, you can just simply go to our website, which is cchrflorida.org, um, or you could go to cchr.org, which is the overall umbrella site, and find a chapter near you. You can also call our chapter's hotline at 800-782-2878. Say that one more time, just to make sure they can write it down. Sure. It's seven. Uh, sorry, the hotline number is 800-782-2878. That's awesome. Diane, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for educating people on these things. Um, it needs to happen more. And I am so happy that, as I said before, in recent weeks, um, a lot of the research and a lot of what you have been saying is being focused on by the media. And it's kind of one of those things like where we all kind of go, those of us who have any experience kind of go, duh, it's about time, you know, but whatever. It is what it is. As long as people are now looking at it and now going to focus on that, that's good. I agree. I agree. It is very good. And, you know, there are those individuals who have been, you know, trumpeting this call for decades in some cases. Um, but it took a perfect storm of the report, the right media influencers, et cetera, latching onto it and boom, who we are. And, you know, maybe more people will ask questions. Maybe our policymakers will take this to heart and start looking at what really needs to be done to help fund some, a person who is, you know, in mental crisis. So I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show and Absolutely. Uh, an opportunity to spread the word, you know, to preach. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I think that because we focus so much on people who have been addicted to drugs like uh, opioids or uh, heroin is an opioid as well, or like cocaine or crack, drugs that are basically illicit drugs and fentanyl and marijuana, I think that we sometimes forget that um, prescribed anti like psychiatric medications can be very addictive and the withdrawal from those drugs can be deadly. So it's not, it, yeah, 
it's something that needs to be considered and you need to get informed if you are taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicine, if you are considering taking them, please become fully informed. Uh, whether you call it CCHR or whether you call other organizations that look into this, talk to mothers who've had their children on some of these drugs, but really get educated before you just do it. Because even though, you know, doctors are considered authorities, they're not always right. So thank you so much for listening today. And we'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast. Point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.